0: Well, our message this morning is entitled, Humble Unity. Humble Unity. And our text is Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. And as you're turning to that text, and by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one as our gift to you. There's some on this back table. Take that and have it as your Bible. But I want you to turn to this text, Romans 12, 3 through 8. I want you to read it with us. And as you're turning there, let me ask you a few questions. Number one. What do you think of yourself? What do you think of yourself? How do you view yourself? Do you see yourself as the best? Better than most? Pretty good? Not so bad? Pretty average? Probably not as good as most or the worst? On what do you base your assessment of yourself? Against whom or by what standard do you judge yourself? Here's the question this text, I believe God is asking us this morning. Do you have a sober estimation of who you are and what you can do? It's tough to have a sober assessment of ourselves, isn't it? We tend to either think too highly of ourselves or too lowly of ourselves. I can tell you right now that my bent is to think too highly of myself. If you were to play golf with me, you would quickly realize that every time I hit the ball, I always think it goes about 50 or 60 yards further than it actually went. Whoever my partner is on that particular day, and it's usually Corey Smidgen because I only play twice a year, once on my birthday, once on his birthday. It's our mutual birthday gifts to one another. Totally, totally selfish gifts because we love playing golf. And so I will hit my drive and I will jump in the golf cart and I will go usually way down range looking for my ball. Corey will wait. He will see where I stop and then he will come 40 or 50 or 60 yards back and he will start looking for my ball and then Corey will lift up my ball and says, Hey Al, here it is. And I say the same thing every single time. Wow, I could have sworn I hit it a lot further. It's the story of my life. I could have sworn that I could get a lot more done today than I actually can get done as I view my ever lengthening list of things to do. So I keep adding things to do, saying yes to everyone's request. I could have sworn that I could take six appointments today, write my sermon, attend my nephew's wedding, and get it all done. And in the meantime, I'm racing from appointment to appointment, often getting there late, making the other person wait, arriving breathlessly, saying, Wow, I've got so much to do. And because I'm so busy, I never clean up after myself. So, I will make lunch on the counter. It looks like someone threw a hand grenade into our kitchen, run out the door to my next appointment, leaving that mess for my wife to clean up because I grossly overestimate myself. You may be saying, Al, that's not my problem. My problem is actually I think too lowly of myself. I, I tend to underestimate what I can do, I think far less of myself, and thus I don't attempt anything for God at all. I'm afraid to try anything for the Lord. Here's the point. True humility, church, is based on a sober assessment, a real assessment of who we are and what we can do. It's something that the gospel produces in us. And it is that humility that creates unity in the church. That's why this message is entitled Humble Unity That is God's burden for us this morning, a humble unity born of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what re- is revealed in our text, Romans 12:3 through eight. So let's read it. Romans 12, three through8. Humble unity. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. According to verse 3, church, It seems that our propensity is to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And that really should not surprise us. We are all legends in our own minds, are we not? We see this painfully worked out in national television, in the show American Idol. Someone thinks they're a far greater singer than they are. They lack the true friends to tell them the reality that they're really not as good as they think they are. So it's left to those poor judges who tell them that they're not as good as they think they are. That is to say, they're not making it to Hollywood. And the punchline, it's a sad punchline for all of us, is to watch how incredulous they become, or even indignant they become, or some even become violent, telling the judges they don't know what they're talking about. We are all legends in our own minds, according to our text. We all tend to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Why is this important? Because, friend, humility, or a sober assessment of who we are and what we can do, is the necessary condition for unity in the church. And if that's true, then sadly the opposite is true. Pride, pride and overestimation of ourselves, thinking too highly of ourselves, sadly is the condition for disunity in the church. That's why God calls us in this text to have a sober evaluation of ourselves rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, rooted in what God has given us. As Jim mentioned earlier, by His grace alone. That's how we can think rightly about ourselves. That's how we cannot think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We think with a sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned us so that we would then faithfully employ those gifts as God has given us the faith and grace to employ them. Why? So the church then can be built up and Christ's name can be glorified. We want to build the church up in humble unity, not tear her down in proud disunity. And the line is very fine on which one we're doing. That's why God calls us here in this text to humble unity, a unity as His body that can only be produced by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This right thinking of ourselves in light of the gospel. A unity that then releases the gifts that God has given us so that we might build the church into a vibrant community. A community that is just buzzing with the grace of God. People busy serving in the gifts God has given them, according to the faith God has given them. People, a church that is busy making disciples of the nations serving our communities in ministries of mercy and good works that God has prepared for us to do to bring glory to God. But it all starts with you thinking rightly about yourself so that you might act humbly to exercise the gifts God has given you right here at Palm Vista Community Church. And that's the main point of the text. Think soberly and act humbly to use the gifts God has given you. Think soberly. That is to say, have a right estimation of who you are. Don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think too lowly of yourself. And act humbly. Take those gifts God has given you with the faith God has given you and employ them, deploy them, use them in the church to build her up. And what's at stake is our unity. Unity. What's at stake is our unity, and what's at stake is our testimony of Jesus Christ. Because the the world looks at the church, that's how the world's going to see Jesus. We represent Jesus together. We are imaging Christ as his body. And our unity will then communicate the truth of the gospel, that God sent his son and loves his elect, and as he loved his son... See, this is why Jesus prayed for our unity. John chapter 17, verses 20 to 23, on the screen. I do not ask for these only, Jesus praying, his high priestly prayer, before he gave his life on the cross for us, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that's us that they may all be one just as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me our unity as Jim said earlier is based on the fact that we're all in Christ and God put us there by grace he chose us that's the foundation of our unity verse 22 the glory that you have given me I have given to them wow Christ has given us his glory that they may be one. That's why we have His glory, that we would be one, even as we are one. Jesus speaking of He and the Father. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Wow. Why? Here's why. So that the world may know that You sent me, Father, and love them even as You loved me. How we walk out our unity in Christ Jesus determines the faithfulness of our gospel witness of Christ. And that's our mission, friends. That's your mission, that's my mission. It's what God the Father has called us to do. It is what God the Son prayed that we would do. That is to to say, walk in unity, humble unity. And it is what God the Holy Spirit was sent here to create in us and enable us to do. So point one, soberly think about yourself according to the measure of faith God has given you. Soberly think about yourself according to the measure of faith that God has given you. See, the problem for all of us according to verse 3, look at it again. For by the grace given to me, I, Paul, say to you, all the Romans, to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Well, wait a second now. You don't understand. I have low self-esteem. I actually think too lowly of myself. No, you don't. Not according to this text. And here's the proof. I offer this for you to consider. Let Dr. Pino offer you a couple of (laughs) observations about the symptoms that you might have in your life. If you might maybe possibly find yourself getting into arguments with people who do not celebrate your opinion, you might be thinking a little too highly of yourself. If maybe you get angry when you don't get your way, maybe you think a little too highly of yourself. When your suggestion is not received and you pout and want to quit, or you get an attitude and talk about someone else behind their back, Maybe you think too highly of yourself. When your decision isn't obeyed, when the children do not celebrate your commands in the home, and you get angry and discouraged and depressed and think you're going to lose your mind, maybe you're thinking too highly of yourself. See, that is what... Scripture teaches us. Remember last week we talked about don't be conformed to this world, the world's way of thinking, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let this text, let verse 3 transform your thinking. Your problem is you don't think too, it's not that you think too lowly of yourself. Your problem, as is my problem, our problem is that we think far too highly of ourselves. We're all looking 30, 40, 50, 100 yards down that fairway for the ball that actually went far shorter. In fact, there is a group of words used here by Paul. It's the word think. I want you to kind of find them in verse 3. Do not think of yourself, of himself, more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment. That word think is used in what's called a play on words. So what Paul is saying here in verse 3 is, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Higher estimation of you. The ball went downrange far further than it really went. You're a far better singer than you really are. No, you are not the next Mariah Carey. You are not. You may sound it in the shower. You may think in your own ears you are, but the rest of us are telling you not. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. But think, same word now, with sober judgment. And that word sober judgment, we translate sober judgment, is the same Greek word for think, but there's an additional piece to that. So sober judgment, think soberly, don't think too highly of yourself. That is what Paul is saying here. It rhymes and really sounds cool in Greek. It's like like a, a first century rap song or a first century lyrical song, a memorable lyric that you can pick up on. It's kind of like a play on words, kind of like one I heard recently by a preacher, and he was trying to tell people, don't try to fix the predicament that God has placed you in, because he's using that predicament to do something in your life. And it goes kind of like this, don't try to fix the fix that God fixed to fix you, because he's just going to have to fix another fix to fix you. And the word fix means different things there. The fix in English, the the, the predicament. And don't try to fix it, change it, because God is fixing you, transforming you with that through that fix. So it's kind of memorable. Don't fix the fix that God fixed to fix you, or he has to fix another fix to fix you. Well, that's kind of like what Paul's doing here with the word think. And what is he saying? The remedy for you and me and our propensity to think more highly of ourselves, the remedy is, in verse 3, to think of ourselves according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to us. Do you see that there, second half of verse 3? Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to you. So he's saying, don't think of yourself more highly than you should think. Boom. But think of yourself with sound judgment. Oh, that's what I want. Okay. I don't want that. I want that. No. Yes. How do I get that? Think of yourself according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to you. Who is the one doing the assigning there? So I can't boast in what's been assigned to me. That's the point. I'm to evaluate myself literally by the amount of faith. God has given me to function with the gifts God has given me to function in the church. This faith for me to function uniquely in the church. Different levels of faith, different functions, one church. That is how I keep from thinking more highly of myself than I should. And the next two verses, verses 4 and 5, are Paul's illustration to make his point not to think more highly of yourself, but to think according to the measure, the amount of faith God has given you for the function that God has called you to function. He's now going to illustrate that using a metaphor that he's used before for the church. Read it with me, verse 4. For as in one body we all, we have many members... And the members do not all have the same function, verse 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So the idea is this. There's a diversity of functions. There's a different levels of faith. And we all have different functions and different levels of faith, diversity. But we're all one body, unity. Unity. It's not the first time that Paul has used the metaphor of a body to illustrate the church. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13 and verse 18, he uses this metaphor of a body up on the screen. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit... We were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Jumping down to verse 18. But as it is, God arranged, note verse 18 carefully, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. Who chose here? God chose. And the results of God choosing to give you a function and to give you faith for that function, so to you my function in the faith that God has given you, it's God's choice. Many different functions, many different body parts, one body knit together by what? We're all in Christ. That's what it says here. Verse 5, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. The result here is a glorious unity and diversity born of a gospel humility walked out when we soberly think rightly of ourselves, not too highly, but according to the measure of faith that God has assigned us. See, here's the question for you. How can you boast about what God has given you? What do you have is how it says in Corinthians that you have not received. And if you have received it, how can you boast about it? Sadly, I can and I do because I forget that I was given it. The gospel fades a little bit. I was saved by grace, but now everything I have is because I worked really hard for it. That is not what scripture teaches Scripture teaches that we have been given a measure of faith. Listen, just as we were given salvation and the scripture says, don't you boast about that. Gentile, do not boast that God has chosen you and he's used the Jews' rejection of Christ to give you faith in Christ. Don't you boast about it. Don't you say, oh, Jews, God's done with you. Forget about you guys. We are now the people of God. Stop. Because it's my sovereign choice. In the same way, do not boast. Do not think more highly of yourself over the function God has given you and the faith to function in that function because you can't function in that function without faith or you'll go into a funk <laughs> you watch it happen right in front of you I told you I was a lyricist that's a joke amongst my family I'll do like one of those once every 10 years I'll think it's far funnier or cleverer than it is just like I think right now and then I'll say Psh, I could be a lyricist I could be a songwriter I could be a rapper Everybody goes, no, you can't. Don't quit your day job. We do not earn these gifts. They are given to us by God's grace. They are not given to us because we are morally superior to anybody else. I am not a pastor because I'm morally superior to you. Oh, far from it. Far from it. This is a gift given to me. I better steward it well. And I better not boast in it. Because it comes from God. I need to function in it is what I need to do. I need to function in it. See, this is the thinking that comes from a renewed mind. Romans 12.2 Not a mind that's conformed to the world that elevates the guy that happens to be speaking with the bright lights on him as anything better. He's not. That's a worldly way of thinking. But I want my mind transformed. It says all of us have gifts. You have gifts. If you don't exercise your gift, we're not going to be the witness of Christ that he's called us to be. Because it all comes from God. So, think soberly. And, point two, act humbly to use the gifts God has given you. Humbly use the gifts God has given you. Look at verse 6a. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. That's very simple. Having gifts... That differ according to the grace given to us. Again, he's referring back to the faith that God gives us. This grace given to us. By definition, grace is something I don't earn. It's something that I receive. It's something given to me. If I had that gift that differs from your gift, because one of us is a hand, one of us is a foot, one of us is a kneecap. There's eyes, there's ears, some are noses, some smell well, there are teeth, there are lips. I'll stop there. And uh, so now, use that gift. Use that gift. Use that gift. Are you using the gift God has given you? Do you know that he's given you a gift? Do you know that that gift is vital for the church to be built up? Do you know that you should use it humbly, thinking of yourself soberly? See, this grace is referring to what are called grace gifts. The word charis combine grace with gifts, grace gifts. Those are called charismata they're grace gifts and they're given by God the holy spirit as blessings to the church 1 Corinthians 12:11 1 Corinthians 12:11 tells us that these gifts these charismata and there're many they're varied these lists that we're reading are not comprehensive lists they're representative lists but these grace gifts are given by the holy spirit as he wills 1 Corinthians 12:11, and all these, the gifts that he's just listed in 1 Corinthians 12, and all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And it's in 1 Corinthians 12 that the body metaphor, he then uses the body metaphor. So he does the same thing in 1 Corinthians 12 that he does here in Romans 12. He says there are a bunch of different gifts, don't compare. Each one of you individually will have gifts given by the Spirit with a certain level of faith but we're one body, diversity, unity, the glory of God. And the result is the church sees a body that is coordinated, that's walking around, that's well-dressed with the clothing of our new creation in Christ rather than a body that's like a drunk person that's stumbling around and tripping over itself and pointing fingers and slandering and saying, my gift's better. I don't value your gift. Why is that person here? The budget should go here. I want this. Why aren't we teaching there? Why are we singing that kind of song? And we stumble around like a drunk man. And the world says, that's what Christ looks like. Or we just sit there. Because people aren't exercising their gifts. I I was driving this morning to pick someone up uh, for church. And I drove by a convenience store. And there was a gentleman lodged between the big ice machine. And he was sitting on a milk crate. And he was just like this. It's about 7.15 this morning. Totally, totally inert. Sometimes that's the church. And it's funny, right when I drove by him, I drove by Walgreens, and I guess the manager was out in the, in the parking lot just sweeping up. She looked all perky. She was well-dressed. She was serving. And I thought, wow, what a picture. What are we like? What's Palm Vista like? Are we this passed out body <laughs> sitting on a milk crate lodged between the, the ice machine and the, and, the, and the door frame? We're alive. <laughs> We're not doing anything. Or are we these perky... Walgreens manager, the nice blue shirt on, khaki pants, you know, serving. One was very attractive. The other one, you just wanted to drive by very quickly. Hope he doesn't wake up. (laughs) See, that's what the world is doing when they see us. What do they see? What do they see? These manifestations are a manifestation of God's grace. They're due to God's grace. No one earns these gifts. No one says that I'm better than you because I have this gift. They are given because God is gracious, because God is kind, because God supplies his church with the means to strengthen his community. All believers have these gifts. They're given by God. Doug Moo says this in his commentary on the book of Romans. Paul is then not just listing gifts. Oh no, he's doing more than that. He is exhorting each member of the community to use his or her own gift diligently and faithfully to strengthen the body's unity and to keep and help it to flourish. We are called to use these diverse gifts for the body, not for self-aggrandizement, not to make a name for oneself, but to bring glory to God. To bring glory to God. By the way, The other lists of gifts you will find in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 10, and then further on in that chapter, and Ephesians 4. Some of the gifts are people gifts, pastors, teachers. Some of the gifts are miraculous gifts, healing, tongues, prophecy. Some of the gifts are are just non-spectacular service. We're going to get into some of those this morning contributing generosity, contributing giving to the needs of others. Here's the question. Are you aware you have them? Do you know it's the Spirit that gives them? Are you pursuing the things of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit? Are you pursuing what God has for you so you can be a vibrant member of Palm Business, so this body can be up and moving, sweeping the parking lot of Walgreens, not sleeping in front of the convenience store? Are you using them according to the measure of faith God has assigned you to build this church? What are the gifts, Al? Good question. Let's go back to the text. Verse 6b. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Prophecy. It is a gift that Paul highly values. If you go back to 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, it is a highlighted gift. This is the gift that God really se- or Paul really seems to focus on because it is a gift that is in, um, designed to encourage the church, to build the church up. As a matter of fact, Thomas Schreiner, who is a uh, theologian at Southern Seminary, in his uh, commentary says this, the gift of prophecy... Should not be equated with preaching or teaching. It's different. And then Doug Moo, another theologian at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, says this more broadly, rather, New Testament prophecy involved proclaiming to the community information that God had revealed to the prophet for the church's edification. And he lists these scriptures. The truth revealed by the prophet, listen carefully, did not come with the authority of the truth taught by the apostles. This is not scripture we're talking about here. It's not Old Testament prophecy. It's not even prophecy of the apostles. This isn't like John's uh, word in Revelation. No. For prophetic speech that they're talking about here was to be scrutinized by other prophets. That's 1 Corinthians 14. What is this gift? This gift is when you pray before you come to a Sunday morning service, when you pray before you go to a community group, assuming that you're doing both of those and actively involved as a member of the church. And God may give you a psalm, a hymn, a spiritual song. God may give you a prayer for somebody. God may say, you know, go up to so-and-so and just share with them. You've been thinking about them and praying for them, and you had this sense that you just praying that they would not be overcome by depression this week. Or you, or you, you talk to the, the the leaders of the church on a Sunday morning, and you say, "Hey, listen, I feel like the Lord has put something on my heart. It's a scripture. It's a it's a, it's a sense. It's maybe a picture of what God is doing." Jim and Jim came up to me during worship, and he said, "Al, I believe after the song, it seems like we I, I just got this sense of being gripped by idols versus the Lord's grip of us." And what do you think? I said, "Yeah, I think so." And it, and it was. It was encouraging. It was. It's different than a teaching. The teaching this morning. Is prepared beforehand. A manuscript is written. Now, within my teaching, I'm praying, Lord, speak to me. There may be a word that I hadn't scripted that you're gonna have for somebody. I'm praying for that. But it's different than this prophetic gift. It's not equal to scripture at all. Scripture is to judge it. On a Sunday morning, you may see people come up there and and and, and, and talk to us. we is this is this from the Lord? It's not forth, it's not foretelling. No, that's Old Testament. It's not trying to predict things. That's not what it's talking about here. It's it's edifying to the church. It was very important to Paul. He spent a lot of time talking about it throughout the scriptures, whether it's Thessalonians. Do not look down on prophecy, whether it's Corinthians, how it should function, whether it's here in Romans. He leads off the list with that. Come prepared. Pray. And the Lord will give you that. And it builds us up. It encourages me when someone comes up and says, Al, I don't know what this means, but the Lord just put this on my heart. And I said, oh, I know what what that means. Thank you. Service. The next three gifts, it's interesting. It's telling you, do this thing by doing this thing. (laughs) If you look at the text here, uh, service, if service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. It almost sounds like a tautology. It almost sounds like it's, it's redundant. It's like, serve by serving. Teach by teaching. Exhort by exhorting. I think what Paul is saying here is that these three gifts are very important and if God's given you that gift, dedicate yourself to that gift. Don't be dissuaded by other things. Really go for it. You can't do it all. This word service is is the Greek word diakonia. We get our word deacon from it, and it's an apt word. It's it's a gift to serve in the church. Friends, we need this gift in great numbers at Palm Vista. Great numbers. Sadly, this is one of those gifts that doesn't go used too often. I can't explain it. In the early years of the church, we were better at this. I don't quite get it. I'm going... Or sometimes I go... Sometimes I go, but all three of those. If you're listening, I was scratching my head and striking a thinker's pose. Maybe it's the enemy. Maybe it's we haven't taught on this. Maybe it's a combination of all of the above. I don't know. But but this is a gift that says, man, I've got gifts. I've got faith to be here early. Mario Sedano, it takes faith for this man to wake up and get here at 8 in the morning on Sundays on the months that he helped set up this auditorium. Like, like, you know, like, do you think, like, little, like, set-up-the-auditorium elves come and set all this stuff up <laughs> while you're sleeping at 8 in the morning on a Sunday? No. It's big boy Leroy right here. Parks his van over in the grass, and I see him stumbling toward the front door, and I, I give him his café con leche. Café con leche, but he's, uh, the primer is the colada. I give him a little shot to get the engines running, and then the café con leche kind of smooths him out. Takes faith for Mario on the months that he's on to be the last guy out of this building. While you're talking out there, he and Tyler and Robbie and and, and Tiffany, I'm gonna miss somebody, I'm sorry, are breaking down all this. Because again, there's no little elves that put this away <laughs> at the end of the service. Takes great faith for David and Jasmine to drive from South Beach picking up coffee, to get here at eight o'clock in the morning, to set up the coffee. Thank you for the coffee, guys. I needed it this morning. I need it right now. <laughs> for our Bible 45 classes, it takes faith for Jesus Aviles with his little kids out there picking up garbage so that it doesn't look like, you know, a state fair just held their, you know, proceedings on the front lawn last night. And when you walk in, there's a sense of, there's a sense of, this is a, a, a wonderful place that I want to attend. It takes faith to come at 8 o'clock and for Jesus to be here Vacuuming. I get him a uh, a cortadito. He likes cortaditos. The one who teaches. A teacher should devote himself to teaching. You know this one. This is what we get to do. This is the one that gets all the glory. This really saddens me at times. You should respect your pastors. I, I agree with that, but I get to show you my gift. All these other people, you never see their gift. You enjoy it, but you don't see it. The one who exhorts. Now, this one I do want to talk about a little bit more. Exhortation is different from teaching. And and this is how the commentators were talking about it in the commentaries I was reading. Exhortation differs from teaching in that an exhortation is a summons to action and seeks to stir others up from lethargy. While teaching concentrates on the content, exhortation concentrates on the application. We can all exhort one another. Think community group. I think of Sergio when I think about this. He's exhorting us. Why did you laugh about that? He's exhorting us. He's saying, here's the content. Hey, guys, how do we apply that? You'll see sometimes a bunch of people with red shirts on praying for people. That's an application of a teaching on prayer. And he was just stirring us up. Like, how do we do this one? But we all can do that. We're all exhorters, aren't we? Hey, are you reading your Bible? Hey, how's it going? You're calling, you're, you're talking in the hallway. This is the life of the church. This is what makes a church strong. By the grace of God, the one who contributes, this is giving for the needs of others. You know, there are some people that have a gift of making money, they do. God entrusts them with a lot of money. And then they give that money away for the ministry of the church. They give that money away to take care of the poor and the needy. And the Bible says, now it's interesting, the next three, the last three gifts, rather than commenting on the context in which the gift is to be exercised, and you're teaching, you're teaching, exhorting, you're exhorting, serve and you're serving. These last three, he's saying how the gifts should be exercised. How? the character qualities of how one employs this gift. So it starts with giving. When you give, and especially with your own money, and I think that's the main emphasis here. What does it say in Scripture here? How are we supposed to give? People that are called to that. In generosity. Now, all of us are called to give, but there are some people that just have this gift of making money and giving it. And they're to do it with generosity, not stingy. See, this is is my mind renewed, do I see myself as a servant who's been entrusted things by God and thus stewarding them, or do I see myself as a free agent, a king to get a bunch of stuff to make me even more kingly? How do I view money? How do I view myself? Romans 12:2, is my mind being renewed by scripture or am I conforming to the world? How do I live my Christian life? Do I give God a tip every week? Or is this all his and I'm just stewarding it? How much do you need, Lord? What are you saying? My treasure is in you, not in this money. It's yours. Thank you for giving me enough to live on, to invest, to care for my family. It's yours. Rather than, I got it. I got the tip. Here you go, Lord. Thanks for the nice meal today. Okay, I'll give you 25% of the meal. It's It's a mentality. It's a mentality. The one who leads with diligence. It is difficult for leaders at times because oftentimes leaders are self-starters. Leaders are sitting at their desk. They're creating things. They're the ones leading. So sometimes there's not someone that, that they're having to answer to directly, but they can get discouraged and they can, they can flag in their diligence. They can say, why am I doing this? I've been doing this and it just doesn't, no one comes or it's just not working or Lord. So, so, so the, the leader is to lead with diligence. So lead with diligence, with zeal. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your community group leaders. Pray for Zeke leading in worship. Pray for Nestor leading over in the children's ministry. Pray for Chandra as she's doing the hospitality table. Pray for Raphael as he's leading set up and his sons, Elias, is leading that and doing ushers. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your elders that we wouldn't flag in our zeal. It'd be empowered by the Spirit of God. And finally, the one who does acts of mercy. Mercy encompasses the care for the sick and poor. And how are we to show mercy, folks? What's that last line say? What's the last word of this text? With cheerfulness. Because at times, man, it's tough to serve the poor and disenfranchised. You can lose your joy. Do it grudgingly. Here's the appeal. Soberly think about yourself according to the measure of faith God has assigned to you. Soberly think about yourself according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to you and then humbly employ this gift that God has given you. That's the takeaway. That's the appeal. That is what God is calling us to do this morning. Humbly use the gifts God has given you. Think soberly about yourself. Act humbly to use those gifts and all to the glory of God. Question for you. What do you have faith for this morning? How can you serve let God stir your heart afresh and anew. That area may have been dead for a while. Get back in the game. By the grace of God, for the glory of God, by the faith that God has given you. Don't compare yourself with anybody else. What faith has He given you? That's what He's saying. Are you faithful to that? And then humbly use that grace gift as God's given you to build the church. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace this morning. First of all, to understand that it is your grace that has called us. It is your grace that has given us life. And by your grace, you have given us gifts. Charismata. Lord God, that we would think soberly about ourselves according to the measure of faith you've given us to function in that grace gift. Whether service, whether prophecy, whether teaching, whether contributing, whether showing acts of mercy, whether exhorting. Oh, Lord, give us the grace. Deploy your people with your gifts for your church, to your glory, that the world would say, that is what Jesus looks like. Thank you, Lord, for praying for our unity. Lord, I ask you, I ask you, Lord, make us one as we deploy these gifts that you've given us. In Jesus' name. Amen.